Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. So today is book club, and we are discussing Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, which we both loved. I'm so excited to discuss it. Yes. And it's also Grace's last episode. It is. I feel like I'm saying goodbye, but I'm not because I'm like so plastered all over the internet. Like, so <laughs> come see me on Instagram. Come say hi if you miss me. Um, <laughs> but today we're talking about Black Cake, which I just – I was rereading – Becca usually does the book outlines because I <laughs> – I'm like terrible with them. I always like leave out big chunks of plot or like write it really awkwardly. So reading through the outline, it was making me emotional all over just thinking about what a good book this was. I loved it. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Before we get into it, should we do some highs and lows? Yes. What is your high this week? I have three. The first one is that my friend Sarah hosted a themed Magic Mike XXL movie night last weekend, which was so fun. She did a whole spread of kind of trashy food. She had Pringles and Cheetos. She made buffalo chicken dip, which was so good. She had pigs in a blanket. It was very fun and obviously copious amounts of wine. It reminded me of my New Year's resolution that I want to do more entertaining. This was really low-key and really fun. I don't know. I I enjoyed attending, and I'm like, oh, I would like to host something like this. What are you going to host? I don't know. I would like to host a game night maybe. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it feels really high pressure to have people over and this was really casual and it was a good reminder that people are going to have fun even if it's like an easy breezy thing. My second high is that our friend Jackie is going to be in New York City and she is one of our best friends from Bobble Bar. I got to see her in San Francisco earlier this month. I'm getting to see her twice in one month. So this time she's here for work. I'm very jealous. She texted us on a group text and was like, I'm going to be in New York. You should come. And I was like, if I hadn't just been in, in Anguilla, I would have just booked like a trip for a night or two. But because it's like really cheap to fly to New York, just get a hotel for a night and do it. But I just I, I'm like, I'm going to be home slash watching the Oscars. And that's what I need. But I miss her. I know. I'm really excited for our weekend. Do you and guys then, have plans yet? Just dinners. Yeah. Just dinners. I think we're both really stressed with work right now. And so I think we want to see each other, but I don't want to do an epic day of doing things around the city. So I think it's really just going to be – it's really going to be dinners. I have sights on getting some writing done this week because I've been a little delinquent there. So, yeah. When I asked what your plans were, I was really, where did you make dinner reservations? Like, Oh, on Friday night, we're going to Balthazar. And on Saturday night, we're going to Jeffrey's Grocery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Living vicariously. And then my third high, which, spoiler, is also my high next week, is that Olivia came up to New York City uh, last Friday. And we got to record our first episode together in person. I'm so sad that you're leaving, but I'm really excited about Olivia, and she did such a good job, and I'm really excited for people to hear it. I can't wait to listen. I'm so excited for you guys. Thanks. Um, It was also great to spend time with her. We have never hung out one-on-one before. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess I haven't hung out with her one-on-one either. Um, I I feel like she's like my good friend who like I watched do drunk makeup tutorials, but (laughs) I've probably only met her like a handful of times. Yeah, so it felt good to rip that Band-Aid and to hang out one-on-one to, you know, start our friendship. Yeah. What about you? 
I had a really nice weekend. It was like a weekend that did feel like a weekend. Like oftentimes I'm, I will like still have work to do over the weekend or I'll have like a ton of chores because I've been traveling. I mean, you can see that I slacked. I have a pile of clothes from Anguilla on my guest bed that still needs to be put away, but it's fine. I just felt like I really enjoyed the weekend. Like on Saturday, I went out to Sullivan's Island to my friend's house and it was four girls, three of them being single moms. And then my friend Nick. So like four girls, one guy and four kids, all little boys between the ages of three and six and a half. And they're fun kids. And we like, my friend April has this like beautiful garden and we like picked all the things for a salad and ate the salad. And I was like, oh, nice. And then it was like 930 and like all the moms were leaving. And Nick is one of my like movie watching buddies. And he was like, do you want to go watch a movie? I was like, no, I was like, I want, <laughs> it was like, I want sweatpants, frozen pizza and wine. <laughs> and that's what I did. And also like, it is hard. I mean, I went over his place last night. It is hard to get an Uber home. Again, I'm always scared of getting stuck there. So my friend Natalie drove me home from, from that. So I was like, also like, I'm getting a ride. I don't have to Uber. And then on Sunday, Blair was in town, Blair Edie, past podcast guest, and we went to Shaynu, which – have I brought you to Shaynu yet? No, I want to go. I see you rave about it all the it's time. It's my favorite place. We're going I, – I worry about your food allergies, but I think we'll be okay because they only have two appetizers and two entrees on the menu. So I'm like – Oh. But you know what? We'll figure it out. Usually places will accommodate allergies if it's not like the main ingredient. It's like a fancy restaurant, so I'm sure they would. But we're going when you come. Great. We sat at my favorite little table outside. We had three glasses of wine each, and it our breakfast, our lunch lasted from like twelve thirty till four, and it was just so lovely to like catch up with her, talk about work and blogging and all that stuff. We kind of had a little bit of like a event sesh just about work stuff. Like I've said this before, but a lot of times, like when you're an influencer, you don't really have coworkers. It's really nice to meet up with other influencers and kind of talk about the industry and, and things going on and stuff. And so it was mostly personal life catch up, but we also had a little work chat and like a little venting and that was really, really nice. And then I have two more highs. My next high, which I just kind of alluded to, is you're coming. Becca's coming for Easter weekend, which I don't know what we're doing with Zoe, but it's going to be amazing on Easter and we'll get some good food reservations and maybe go out to the beach. So that's going to be great. I'm excited. Are we doing Easter at your parents' house? I think, but I think my sister might, my sister bought a house. My, my sister and brother-in-law bought a house and um, I think there's a chance it could be there, but I don't know if they'll be situated yet. So we'll see. It'll be at one. Oh, I was wondering if your dad was going to cook. Oh, I mean, my dad will probably cook either way. Oh, great. And then – I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. And then I just got – you know, like last week or whenever, we were talking about things I was excited about next, and I talked about doing an overhaul of my website. I'm just kind of – I've had the same branding and the same main site layout for the past seven years now because I we did it when I quit my day job, and um, and that was seven years ago. And it just feels time for a refresh. And I just it, – literally, she sent me a sneak preview. So it's not even like the whole site or anything. But she just sent me like the way that the fonts and colors will look together. And I was like, oh, I love this. So that was exciting. And tomorrow we have a full call to like go through the whole thing and talk about my ideas. Because when she sent me that, I had a few creative ideas spark. 
Um, but that font, that bold font that I sent it to you today, it like gives me goosebumps. Like I'm a fonts nerd. I love a good font. So I'm so excited. It looks great. And then, um, yeah, those are those are my three. What about Lowe's? Yesterday, I just had a comically bad day. And I think something's in the air. Like we had a small issue with our podcast. It didn't – the episode didn't go live. Um, and I think Maddie had forgotten to schedule it. I had my blog post also not go, go live this morning. I think there's like something weird in the air because like I never do that. Maddie never does that. And then on top of that yesterday, it was like I burned myself with my curling iron. I had – I was unloading the dishwasher, managed to drop two glasses. So it's like broken glass all over my kitchen floor. Then I like get that all cleaned up. And you know, it's a hassle because like I walk around barefoot a lot and I also have a cat. And the last thing I need is the poor cat like eating glass or like getting it in his paw. So I'm very, very careful. It's like wiping it all down, vacuuming. Then I pull out my – um. I just like opened up a cabinet to get a plate and it wasn't even a full pl- – like sometimes it's my fault and like the cabinet is like packed too too closely. The a plate just flew out and broke and it was one of my like beautiful like ceramic ones from Scargo Pottery like the – which is also sentimental because those plates, I bought them on Cape Cod. And I mean we'll go back to Cape Cod this summer but like all of their things are kind of like one of a kind. I was just like so mad <laughs> and then just like had some work stuff go wrong, snapped at my boyfriend. I was like, I am a monster. I need to be like put to bed at like seven. And I didn't. I actually ended up going to a friend's house to watch a movie, but I was just like, this day needs to end. But I will say I like vented a little bit about it in an Instagram caption. And so many people were feeling the same way, which is why I think something was in the air, in the air yesterday because it just seems like I was not alone. Oh, those days when a lot of little things go wrong and it's just insult after insult sometimes feels so much harder when than when one big thing goes wrong. Yeah, and you feel guilty. You're like, why am I complaining? Like uh, breaking one glass would not be a big deal. Breaking three things is a big deal. And then you have like a burn on your hand from the curling iron and you're like, oh, yeah, all stupid stuff. Like there's much bigger issues going on in the world than that. But it was still an annoying day. What is your low this week? Speaking of globally unimportant issues, I lost the battle on nail biting. (gasps) I had a really stressful day last week, and I already had that one broken nail from my from my manicure that I talked about two weeks ago. And oh, it it wasn't even subconscious; like it was like I am. uh, This is happening, and so yeah. I'm back to square one, which is fine because I feel like that bad manicure that I got made my nails so weak yeah. that – not that it's good, but it's almost like, yeah, I would rather keep my nails short for a little bit, keep them painted, and just like let some of the growth happen so that they're stronger again because literally my nails are so weak from that manicure. Yeah, I hear you. You should see mine. They're like flaking apart. They're really bad. Ooh. Yeah, it's fine. I don't care. So I'll get back to it. I'm not over the resolution. It went really well for a while, but then it just – it really all fell apart one day last week. Yeah. But let's get into this book. Yes. Let's talk about this book. So 
When Eleanor Bennett dies, she leaves her two children, Benny and Byron, an eight-hour voice recording and a traditional Caribbean black cake. Byron, who is the oldest son, is a renowned scientist, while his younger sister, Benny, is a bit lost in life. She's been estranged from her family for the past eight years, ever since she came out as bisexual. On the voice recording, Eleanor begins telling them that they have a sister. She tells them that she must go back to the beginning and tells them the story of Covey, a young girl on an unnamed Caribbean island who loved to swim. Covey was the daughter of a Chinese immigrant and a local black woman, and her mom left when she was 12 years old after she got fed up with her father's gambling. As Covey grew older, her father's gambling debts accrued, and he married her off to another shopkeeper in town who was around her father's age, who he'd become indebted to, despite Covey being in love with Gibbs, a local boy her own age. The night of her wedding, the groom dies suddenly via poisoning, and Covey runs to the ocean. She's presumed dead, but she's actually swam to a secret cove, and she survived. She escapes to Britain, where she works as a nanny and then a nurse. A few years later, she is in a train accident. When she was in the hospital, they mistake her for her friend she was traveling with who dies from her injuries. So it is reported that Covey died while Covey becomes Eleanor Douglas. With her new identity, she takes a job in Scotland only to be raped by her boss. She returns to London pregnant with his child, and without any other options, she's ultimately pressured to give up her baby for adoption. Later, she runs into her childhood love Gibbs on the street in London in a moment of serendipity. The two marry and give birth to Byron and Benny. Gibbs also assumes a fake name to help Covey hide her identity to protect herself from anyone on the island who might still be looking for her as a result of the death of her first husband. The two end up in California. Later in life, Eleanor discovers the identity of her first child when she sees her on TV hosting a food program. After listening to the voice message, Benny and Byron are reeling from all they didn't know about their parents, and with the help of a family lawyer, they make contact with their sister. Together, the three siblings help to lay their mother to rest and also to settle her loose ends, tracking down her childhood best friend, her father, who's still alive and now in Miami, and her childhood housekeeper. Let's start at the highest level. Tell me your high-level feelings and impressions of this book. So I feel like a broken record. I loved this book. It's the best book I've read all year. Um, What I loved most about it was the storytelling. I felt like the characters all, you know, were very flawed, but also like people you related to. And the story was beautiful. Like you completely understand why Eleanor did what she did. But I just, I like felt for these characters. It was so moving and so also so heartwarming. I loved the ending. I felt like sometimes like I don't want things to be tied up so neatly in a bow, but I love the way that this, because I think there was so much tension and drama and just hard shit that the characters had to endure. So I loved seeing it like end very happily. Yeah, I loved it too. I was honestly a little worried because sometimes when you go into a book after you've heard so much hype about it, it's impossible for it to live up to it. And I'd heard so many good things from you and Olivia loved it. And I was nervous that it wouldn't live up to it. And I I wanted to say I devoured it, but that's not true. I really savored it. Like it was – oh, it was so beautiful. It it felt at the same time – both like a really huge story and a really small story. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Like there was so many different plot points and people and interconnectedness. But then at the same time, there was also so much 
detailed emotion and like little moments and uh I I loved it. I thought it was truly fantastic. I could not believe that it was a debut novel. I know. Like I almost feel bad for her. Like how is she going to follow that for a second book? <laughs> I'm excited personally. I I just I thought the writing was incredible. I I felt really drawn in by the short chapters. Like I was sucked in immediately and also having been on the other side of this trying to write a book, I also just have so much respect for how much she was able to pack in to these chapters. Like the scenes were just little snippets of different moments and still it just like it packed such a punch. Yeah. I completely agree. I I felt like also the the way that she varied the style while Eleanor was telling the story versus like talking about the kids and and their perspectives was so different. And it just felt it really it really felt like this could be true and this could have happened and this was a mother like telling her her children her last her last words. Yeah, it felt it also felt really lyrical. Like it felt almost poetic in some ways the writing. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Olivia about the book and she was saying how she how much she loved the descriptions of swimming and yes. how that just felt really almost meditative. Yes, I agree. I felt like that too, the water and the swimming. I um my sister doesn't really have a lot of time to read right now, but I would really like her to read this book cuz she grew up swimming a ton and I think she'd just enjoy it so much. I I felt like it was so beautiful on the writing on the writing level. I felt like the characters were so well done. I felt like the story was so well done. I honestly felt like one thing I kept thinking about while I was reading this is I was like, this should be taught in high schools. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it actually made me wonder, and I'm going to pitch to Olivia that we should do an episode about this. Like, I wonder what they teach in high school today in English classes, because in mine, it was a lot of dead white author, dead white male authors. Yeah, but, like John Steinbeck and like I don't oh, yeah. I don't remember a lot, but I know I remember reading Grapes of Wrath because my friend and I had to read it over the summer and we just made fun of the book the whole time. Yeah. For, or of mice and men. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Portrait of the Artist as a young man, or I don't know. I, I'm just wondering like what they teach these days and if they teach more contemporary literature, because I felt like this also had some really interesting elements of history that I wasn't aware of with regards to the Chinese population in – well, the island isn't named, but I think it's it's supposed to be Jamaica. Or, you know, some of the – some of the bits about London after World War II. Like, I, I don't know. I felt like it was just a really – I felt like it would just be so interesting to read in an English class. There's so much to unpack. I would be really curious. I feel like we have a lot of teachers that listen to this podcast. So maybe if you are a high school English teacher, come to the Facebook group and tell us what your what books your students are reading. Yeah, I I I'm also curious how curriculums get put together, like how much choice teachers have versus how much either like the state or the the school district tell you you have to teach. Yeah. So one thing about this book that I think we both – that resonated with both of us is that there's this theme of like the difficulty of knowing your parents as actual people and not just your parents. Like these mythical – like I don't know. Parents seem like – when you're a kid, your parents don't really seem human or fallible. What did you think about that? This resonated with me a ton for very different reasons 
then it affected Byron and Benny in the book. But, you know, my my mom died when I was 15. And so I will never get to have a relationship with her as an adult. And so much of my memories with her, or even my just perception of her is as a mother and not as a person. I don't know as much as I'd like to think I might have about her life before I was born than if, you know, she'd lived longer and we'd like known each other as adults. Like it's just, I feel like it's natural to center yourself, especially as a child, where it's like almost hard to believe that your parents lived a full life as. Yes. Before you were there. Like if you had a kid tomorrow, like, you know, if I had a kid tomorrow, not even to put it on you, like I, I feel like I've lived this whole life and they would only think of my life from after this point. Like that's really wild to me as a person and yeah. I wouldn't feel like it's representative, but of course that would that's what would happen. Yes, absolutely. I spent so much of my teenage years just being scared to death of my parents and I don't know why because like now they're like my best friends and they're like so laid back and they're like wilder than I am, but I was always like getting in trouble for like whatever – antics I was getting up to. Then in, in college, like I, I didn't, I still didn't really see them as people. Like, and then I, I think it really took till like early twenties where I was like, oh my gosh, you, you're human too. And you make mistakes and this and that. Like, I just, I think I saw them as like these like omnipotent beings that like <laughs> governed my life. And then now it's like, which is hilarious to me. Cause again, we talk about everything now, like they're, they're, they're people. <laughs> but as a child, yeah, you don't, you don't see them as like human beings. Well, it's funny that you, you say you were afraid of them because you were getting in trouble for these antics. And I don't know what antics they were, but you know, like normal teen antics of sneaking out or dating boys that you weren't supposed to or drinking or things like that. I'm sure those were antics that Becca, they got I did to. nothing. I was what were your the, antics then? I was an angel. I didn't have a sip of alcohol till my senior year. Do you know what I got grounded for a month? Was I w- we went to a school dance, and my curfew was eleven, so I always would come home after the school dance. But I had a sleepover, and after the school dance, the friends' parents were cool with us going to IHOP. This we were juniors. We were like sixteen. We were we had cars and we were driving, and we went to IHOP and had like literally like um, breakfast at like midnight and my parents found out and even though it wasn't my it it wasn't my house and my and it was my friend's curfew I was grounded for a month and then my friends parents didn't know what to do so they grounded my friends for a month and we were all like we didn't even do anything bad like kids were like drinking and doing drugs we were like a bunch of like nerdy runners that <laughs> couldn't do anything bad my parents just and now like this is part of them being human like they didn't know they were like you were our first child and we just didn't want to fuck up so we were as strict as we could be <laughs> but i'm sure they also i don't know if you know anything about your parents high school years like i'm sure they also got up to antics oh yeah my dad was wild like my mom less wild, but yeah. My dad was like one of the bad kids. He got – I think he got my whole – his whole class ski trip sent home because he brought beer. <laughs> yeah. Did you empathize with Eleanor in her decision to keep her history hidden from her children? I don't know. I kind of felt like she could have told them at, at a certain point. Or maybe she wanted them to be together and she was a strange – from Benny, but I just felt like 
they were old kids. Like, they weren't, like, in their 20s. How old were they at this yep. point? Byron is in his mid, earlier mid-40s, and I think Benny was in her late 30s. Look, I feel like in their late 20s or early 30s, it would have been safe to tell them this story. So I, I would have t- told them. But, um, again, I know it was, like, so much trauma and just, like, fear of, like, ruining her, her whole life by revealing the secret. I see both sides of it, but I I feel like I was really made to empathize with her in this, even if there could have been another decision. And one thing that I noticed was kind of like her loyalty to her deceased husband and how he didn't know about her other child. And so, you know, to tell her children would be to tell him and she felt like he had propped her up during these hard times and she didn't want to like put more on him. Yeah. And I just, I really felt like these were such complex whole people that even though they were making this, it wasn't even a bad decision, but even though they were making decisions, I I totally understood why. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like with Benny's estrangement, like the husband came in as well, where he passed away suddenly and then Eleanor was was mad that Benny didn't come to the funeral where like everything compounded where it was like, oh, my gosh, you can see because these are book characters and you can like you get the omnipotent view. You, you're like, oh, my God, if this just if you just done this or told this person, this wouldn't have happened. But I did really I did really feel for Eleanor. Yes, I did, too. And I also can't even imagine how many layers of this book I didn't get not being a parent. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It just like it there's so much in there. Like the the whole idea of like wanting your kids to have a better life than you had and I think that all the effort they put into Benny and then to have her be like I want to date whoever I want and I want to like bake and do art and like experiment and run around with my life. Like I think that they just didn't understand it couldn't relate after working so hard to give her like everything. I can't say how I would feel. I, I want to say that I would accept my child no matter what. And that's so easy to say. Yeah. I don't know. It's easy. I feel like this is going to get misinterpreted. Like I wouldn't accept a gay child or something, which I obviously would. No, I don't know. Of course. Yeah. No, that, that's not what you're saying. It's It's more just like – it's more with her job, I think, than who she chose to date that she just was so lost after they just – gave her this childhood where she she could be like the president. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's also your worth is tied up in your children's achievement too in some ways, no matter how much you don't want it to be, where you're like, I just want them to be happy. But also she was like, I did sacrifice all of this and I want that to mean something, which is an unfair thing to put on a child, but like exists nonetheless. Yeah. And knowing, and I think that the kids probably then knowing their backstory, everything made so much more sense why their parents raised them the way that they did. Yeah, and they just thought that they had these strict parents mm-hmm. because of the fact that they were immigrants to the United States, that they that that's why they wanted it. And it was like, oh, no, there was so much they didn't know. Yeah. Another thing I found really, really poignant was just Benny's, Benny's story overall, her not feeling the approval from her parents and her desire to go home, but then it not being how she wanted. I, I wrote down this quote. I guess it's a paraphrase of it, but there was it was said once like yearning to return home, but nothing was the way she thought it was. Yeah, that just felt so much like adulthood. Oh my gosh, I know. Like I remember going home, and like 
my parents moved out of the house I grew up in. So it was like there was no home anymore. Like it was just visiting my parents in their house as opposed to it being home. And that's like on such a smaller scale. Like it's just a house. Like it's no one's died. There's been no disagreements or anything. Um, I, I liked that quote too. Yeah. I, I I also read – have you read The Unsinkable Greta James yet? No, but you've talked about it a lot and you were talking about the – you said that it is similar to this in some ways. In some ways, it just – it was a, a lot different, but it had the same theme of parents who were withholding their approval because they wanted like traditional solid careers for their children yeah. or what was going to make their child happy was – the path that they were on, but it was like almost like a like a fear on behalf of their child because it was like there's inherent insecurity and in, in the unsinkable Greta James, she's a musician. And then in this case, you know, Benny wants to open a cafe. Yeah. I thought I just thought that there were like interesting parallels there. I love reading about that intergenerational ideas of of success. Of success and of happiness. Yeah. Really, I think our generation is very happiness-focused, whereas our parents maybe was a little bit less. I remember um, being really unhappy at my corporate job, and my dad was like, this is your your job. You do your job every day, and you go home, and that's where you get your fulfillment is outside of your job, and you need to stop complaining. And I was like, no, but like I'm really unhappy. I have this horrible boss. I'm going to go work for a startup and take a $35,000 pay cut. And he was like – he like did not understand. And then five years after that when I left to run my vlog, he was kind of like, what the hell? (laughs) Um, I get it. Yeah. I I feel like I had the same thing. I know I've told this story on the podcast before. But when I first graduated college, I worked in traditional consulting. And I left after two and a half years. And when I told my aunt and my uncle who – were like my adoptive parents that I was doing this and I was trying to explain it to them. They just – they couldn't get it where I was like, I I can't imagine doing this for the next 40, 50 years. Like this, this doesn't make me happy. And they were like, we don't know anyone who's happy at their job. Like jobs aren't for happiness. Yes, just jobs aren't for happiness. Mindset. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was just such a wild thing where it was like, you want to be happy at your job? Like – yeah. Stop being so idealistic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I know like I, I've i lived that in a very small way and it wasn't like they withheld their approval or support. But, you know, I, I think that's really interesting, like the intergenerational ideals where I think like our parents' generation really values stability in a way that I personally care less about. Yeah. The other theme that I thought was really interesting here was about identity and just grappling with with who you are, and I really, th- I really loved Marble's story. I did too, which only kind of comes into play in the last, I don't know, like third of the book, maybe. And I liked the way that they introduced her because suddenly I was like, "Who's this new character? I don't look. I want Byron and Benny. Like, what's going on here?" And then I was like, "Oh, yeah." And I, I thought it was so interesting for her because it was both her racial identity, where she had been told that she was white growing up. Yes. And then also her family identity in terms of the fact that she hadn't been told she was adopted. It it was really interesting because I've seen those stories play out with younger characters, but I thought it was so interesting that she's 50 and was experiencing this and it hit her so – it hit her hard just the same where it's like even being solid in your personhood where she had 
you know, she had a child and she had her career and was successful, like, it still really rattled her to have her identity questioned like that, as it would me as well. I know. I put myself in her shoes. I was like, what if in, like, 10 years you found out you were, like, a different race, you were adopted, and, like, how would you feel? I just – it's wild to me, like, to have that happen so late in life. It's wild, and I think it was so sensitively portrayed in the book yeah. because I'm like, yes, I, this this is exactly how I would have felt. And then to meet your two siblings, like, and remember how she was like, it's just too much. I need to go. Like, I thought that was really realistic too. Like, she's not, she wasn't just like, oh, I have a brother and a sister now. Like, everything's perfect. Yeah, and I also thought the theme of identity on a lesser level with with Benny and Byron was so interesting too because it was like they were experiencing their mother's story both in terms of what happened to their mother, but then also the fact that she didn't tell them and that there were, you know, all of these secrets that they didn't know and how that was, like, informing their identity. And I just – I thought it was so interesting. Well, to suddenly – I don't think they even knew that their grandfather was Chinese and they didn't know, like, that they grew up and that they were from the Caribbean. So, like, all of this to just, like – have that all like come out again like in your 40s like I it's like if I found out my mom actually like had this whole other life yeah it's exactly like that (laughs) yeah it's exactly like that I think another thing that really drew us both to the book if I can speak for you is the role of food we both love a food book there were certain things that reminded me on a much different in a much different way about delicious by Ruth Reichel Mm mm-hmm I totally, I totally, totally agree. And especially like all of the talk about black cake. Have you ever had black cake? I've never had black cake. I, over the weekend, I was like, I should go find some. And it was raining and I did not find any black cake. I don't, I'm sure there must be bakeries in New York City that have black cake. There's, I can't decide if I would like it. It sounds, so the way it's described is it's like a fruit cake, I think plum. And then the fruit is soaked in port and rum, and then it's, like, baked into a cake. I think there's citrus in it, too. Yeah. I can't decide if I would like that or not. Like, I don't traditionally like fruit cake, and that's – yeah, that's why. There's some kind of a rum cake that I tried when I was younger, and I didn't like it. So I was here in Charleston. I could not find anywhere to go and have it, but I looked it up, and there was a place that, like, you can order it and have it shipped. It was going to be – like $150 when it all was in with like shipping and stuff. And I was like, I don't want to spend that on something that I don't think I like. I think it, I could make like an occasion of it. Like it, my mom and my sister read it so we could all like eat the black cake together and then that becomes like a special thing. Oh, I love that. Or if you had a book club, or like not you, but a listener had a book club, I think that would be a cool yeah. thing to – it sounds like it takes weeks to make. Like you have to soak the fruit in the port and rum for a while. So – I guess you would have to really think ahead to make it or if you, you know, bought it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could make it. I think it's way above my um, – I think so. – I think me too. Like just the way she, they were talking about like boiling it and like just like the – it's like hot. Like I don't, I don't know, like it getting really hot to caramelize it. And I was like, yeah, that seems like that's above my pay grade. Yeah. But I want to try it. Yeah. I bet in New York there's some like amazing Caribbean – bakery where you can just like go in and buy a slice. That's what I was thinking. I'll have to put it on yeah. my I'll have to put it on my list to look it up. I also loved the I don't know, the small plot point about 
Marble's career as a food historian and talking about the diaspora of food and how just how what a lovely way that tied into this book and and the experience of black cake. Totally. Totally. I also think that's so interesting. I would love to read her book if it existed in in real life. I wonder if she's based off of somebody. I know. I would love to know that because I would read that book in a heartbeat. I know. It would be so interesting. Yes. I also adored in the book where when Benny finds the recipe for black cake and it doesn't actually have any amounts, Mm -hmm. it was just some loose suggestions that had been handed down to her rather than like any official recipe. And like the way she Mm -hmm. learned it is by being in the kitchen with her mother versus, you know, something written down. Yes, absolutely. I love that too. It it felt very familiar because I don't know, like maybe 10 years ago, my younger sister gathered all of our family recipes. She was like so irritated with my mom and my dad because they were like, oh, like a pinch of this. Like, oh, you know, just like enough like butter to like fill the bottom of the pan. And it's like, what size pan? Oh, I don't know. You know, like 10, 15 inch diameter, like not helpful. 15 inch diameter would be huge. Yeah, like I'm. I mean, I'm making things up right now. So I really bow down to my sister who got it all right and then put it into like a little sp- spiral bound book for all of us as a Christmas gift. I love that. I love that. I have my mom's recipe tin, and it's like yellowed with age, and it has all of these handwritten recipes in it. Some of them are family recipes. Some of them are definitely written out of like. Good Housekeeping magazine or something like that. And I I haven't been through it in a long time, but it's like it's such a treasure to me to have that as a memory. And I like I remember her cooking from it and some of the recipes in there like stir up memories of my childhood or of like family members that have since passed. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm so happy that I have that. Although I can't think of a recipe in my family that has been passed down the same way generationally as black cake. Do you have a, a like a generational? I know your dad has his eggnog, or there are certain family recipes, but is anything like generational? I would say my grandfather's eggnog. Like this eggnog is like famous on Cape Cod because my parents would then make it and serve it at the restaurant. And it, have you ever had it? No. It's so thick and creamy. It's like eating ice cream. Like it's just like you can eat it with a spoon, and it is so delightful. There's actually a recipe for it on my blog if you search like eggnog, but it is. Like our family, like I guess it was a secret recipe and then my dad allowed me to – I always ask permission before putting any of his recipes on my blog or sharing them on social media. But he was cool with the the eggnog being shared. I love that. The closest thing I can think of is my Aunt Ruth has a – my great Aunt Ruth had a sour cream coffee cake. But I don't love it. (laughs) Yeah, that's always sad when it's things you don't actually like. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about just really briefly was kind of the the repetition and theme of Byron getting pulled over by the police as a black man. So I'll I'll never forget something Elizabeth Acevedo said to us on the podcast when she came on. She's the author of With the Fire on High. She was talking about how she has read so many books by white authors that she has had a front row seat. I'm definitely like not quoting her. I'm butchering this, but um, she's had a front row seat to like the psyches of white women. And I really felt like this moment was 
very similar. And I realized that while I obviously understand from from news and and from articles that have firsthand accounts how people feel, I don't read a lot of fiction, especially by men. I don't I read almost no fiction by men. And so this isn't something that I see occurring in a lot of books that I read. And hearing his interior monologue and his thoughts as he got pulled over throughout the book, I I was like, oh wow, this is this is in some ways what Elizabeth Acevedo was talking about. Yeah. Well, I think that reading books by authors with diverse backgrounds is like one of the best things you can do to kind of gain empathy for other cultures, other races, and understand where they're coming from. Because I don't know, I think obviously the news and and what have you, but it's much more human to read a book where it's characters going through something like this. You should read. Did you ever read The Hate You Give? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean I felt like that was was one of the first books I read where I was like, "Oh my god," like and you really like step into the psyche of a black person in a moment that's like really terrifying. So many people have told me such good things about the book that Joe Piazza and Christine Pride wrote together called We Are Not Like Them, and it deals with two women who are friends, one's a black woman, one's a white woman, and I think the white woman's husband is involved in a shooting of a young black man in the book. And everyone has said how fantastic it is. And I – shame on me for not having gotten around to it. It's just in my never-ending piles. I know. My book – I need to sit and, like, organize my TBR pile because I feel like I've just been like, oh, I'll just read whatever's next. And I miss – I also need to – get realistic with myself that based on the number of piles I have around my living room, I am not going to read them all. So we're going to need to do some prioritization because yeah, the piles are bigger than the amount of books that I will probably read this year. Totally. Can we can we talk about the ending? I loved the end. Please. Just, I mean, I thought that the way that it just ended full circle was wonderful. I felt like it was so thoughtfully done and just wrapped up so perfectly. It left me feeling like really warm and fuzzy, but also like wanting a sequel and like wanting to know where their lives go after this. I mean, I felt very warm and fuzzy towards them as characters, but I felt like I didn't need a sequel. Like I care about them as people and I'd like to get a postcard from them and know that they're okay. But I thought the full circle-ness of this was so beautiful and so well done. And I also loved how towards the end, she brought the author brought in a lot of history too. She brought in history of slaves in Jamaica and of like buried treasure. And and I just I thought it was an interesting element that she brought in at the end of the book, but like added richness instead of was like confusing or weird. Yes, I agree. But I want to know like about the kids all being friends after this, like where their relationship goes and how that evolves. Sure. Sure, but I felt I didn't feel unsatisfied by the no, ending. No, no, like, I just felt like it was so lovely, and there was, and it was so touching too. Like I loved the the moment where they, you know, the mom had said, "You'll know when the moment is to have the black cake," and they all sat down to have it together. And then inside of it, they found a glass jar with her treasures that yes. led them to like actual treasures. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is such a delight!" Like there's even more that we didn't know about, and like I loved them getting to meet people from her life that they didn't know that she led. Like, yeah, like a grandfather they just didn't even know existed. Well, that was I was shocked by that. I was I was so shocked that he was still alive. Oh my god, me too. Yeah, and and also like 
getting to unravel the secret of who killed her first husband and that it was her best friend, Bunny, and that, you know, Bunny had gone on to become like a world-renowned climate activist and and athlete, but that Eleanor never told that she did that. Like she took that secret with her to her grave. And I was like, that is some real true ride or die best friend behavior. Yeah. And, you you know, because like even the kids like talking about, oh, you know, mom was obsessed with that swimming thing. Like she really liked watching swimming. Like, I don't know why. I thought that was fun. I, I loved it. Yeah. And I really loved Marble and Benny bonding over cooking. Like you can tell it's like just something that's in their blood and they are like sisters. Me too. I loved that. And like a little bit of nature versus nurture where it's like even though you didn't grow up with this family, you have this inside of you somewhere. And you became this person who has a lot to do with Eleanor's life without ever having known her. And I love the – I don't know. I just love thinking about that. Yeah. I want to talk about the author. So this was a debut. I said at the beginning, I was so impressed by how much she wove together without it feeling like too much. Yes. You know, realistically, Delicious probably had too much in that book. Yes. And this book felt really like beautiful and simple and complete without feeling like too much. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think this author sounds like such an interesting woman. Her about the author said she's lived in Jamaica and she is based in Italy. And I'm like, I want to know everything about this woman. Yeah. Did you know that this book is being adapted by Oprah for Hulu? I did. And I'm so freaking excited. There was a great interview with the author. I think it was on maybe Shondaland. I can't even remember, but it was really, really well done. And it also um, talked about it being adapted. I think you might maybe get like a little bit more from these characters if it is a TV series and not just like a mini series. Yes. I wanted to know if you had any books that you thought were kind of similar to this or like if someone loved this book, what would you recommend to them? I was trying to think of that. I think one thing that felt similar in some ways to me was Home Going by Yaa Jossi. It definitely spans a much longer period of time. I think it starts in the late 1700s and comes through contemporary times. But I did think it had a lot of that element of secrets within families and secret histories. And it also has two estranged branches of the family not knowing each other. So I th- I thought that that had some similarities there. Could you think of anything? Yeah, I had two. The first one is a past book club. And it's totally different from this, but I, I think you'll enjoy it if you enjoyed this. And that was The Vanishing Half. So like the, to- the mm-hmm. two estranged sisters, the fact that it was like multi-generational – I thought that, that was, that's something that someone would really like if they liked this. And then I also was going to say The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. And that – Oh, I haven't read that. It's another like complicated family saga. And it's about – I mean in this case like the um, the mother abandons them and the father um, – yeah, so similar to how Covey grew up. But the mother abandons them. The father passes on and like marries this horrible woman that like kicks them both out of the house and they really just rely on each other. But I think that the the family dynamic in there could be enjoyable to someone who enjoyed this. And the writing is incredible, of course. I feel like there's so many that I'm forgetting because I do like a f- complicated family saga, but I, I'm blanking. Yeah. Come talk to us in the Facebook group if you have recommendations that are on a similar wavelength as this. Yeah, I think that 
I would love I'd be really interested in that. I will say that I liked this better than both The Vanishing Half and The Dutch House, but I think I gave both of those books like A's or A pluses too. So they're both very good. This was just like an A plus plus. I easily, no questions, gave this five stars. Like I was so blown away by this and so satisfied by so satisfied. The way that it all came together. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. It was just it was a masterpiece. Can we talk about some end matter? Yes. I don't have an Instagram obsession. I don't either. We're getting rid of this segment once Olivia comes on because I'm trying not to follow more people. Not that I don't appreciate the content that people are creating, but I'm well, it's a one in one out policy over here. If you felt that strongly about an account, it could always just be your obsession instead. That's true. That's true. I want to talk to you about my obsession. So, I have your obsession. You do? Yeah. Oh, man. I thought I was breaking news. So I have been just going ham at Sephora. I don't know who I am as a person. I just keep buying new beauty things. But I bought a concealer brush from Rare Beauty. And I previously have been a concealer with your fingers or concealer with a beauty blender type person. Yeah. And this has really revolutionized my concealer game. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I think it's a good brush. I just saw it. I was like, huh, what's going on here? So it's it's your first concealer brush. It's my first. Is this not a good one? Do you have better concealer brush recommendations? So I honestly have always just preferred to do my fingers over a brush. I got to tell you the Artiste Oval Brush is the best concealer brush I've ever used. Like it oh. just – it feels – Is that one of the ones that looks like a hairbrush kind of? Uh-huh. It looks like a little mini hairbrush. It's so cute. But it flies it really well and stuff. But it feels – it's like applying it with your fingers but like 20 times better. I really like it. You can use mine when you visit and see if you – how it – I think that all of this stuff is so personal, right? Like some people like want to use like a, a million different brushes for everything and want to be like – have a more complicated routine. And I'm very complicated with my skincare, but with my makeup, I'm less so. But I love that brush. It's it, – the Artiste brushes are like my favorite makeup brushes mostly, like but for eyeshadow and concealer. I feel like one thing that was happening previously with either using my fingers or the Beauty Blender was that I was just like negating some of the product because either yes. the Beauty Blender was sucking it up or it ended up on my fingers instead of on my face. Yes. And so I just feel like I have – better coverage. Yeah. I like Rare's brushes a lot, but I will just say and don't get go don't go buying this one. You don't need another one. But no, I like the I like the one I have. I just it, it's my first, so I I don't know. I um I wanted to just give a plug for my favorite, but yeah. I didn't know that you were on the concealer brush train. I knew that you were a a, a beauty products with fingers person, so I thought maybe I was going to get to change your life. No, I think that because I'm in the Sephora squad, I get a lot of mailers. And one thing I always make sure I try out is the brushes because I do think brushes can really like kind of change change your – like really like level up your makeup applying experience. But yeah, Rare sent like all of their brushes. And I think that the concealer one and the foundation brush are the best too. Interesting. I use a giant – not giant, but I use like a Kabuki style brush Yeah, for my – foundation and I really like it but I'm like well I'm interested to know what I've been missing with other brushes yeah I don't know I don't know who I am and why I'm on this beauty bender right now but not a beauty blender a beauty bender I like it I Um, like this journey yeah I don't know 
Okay, what about you? I want to talk about yours too because it's something that I've almost bought three times this week alone. So sometimes so first of all, I was given these. So I I do want to stress that I I like it. I think it's great, but the internet is obsessed with the Stanley Cups and I really like mine. I they sent me three of them and I was like I'm just like out of cabinet space. As I said in my low, like plates are flying out. So we don't need more things in the kitchen. But um, I was sent three sizes, the 20 ounce, 30 ounce, and 40 ounce. And the 40 ounce has a giant handle. And I was like, I'll take this to the gym. It felt very funny. Like I was like bringing like a commuter style mug to the gym <laughs> um, with like a big handle and stuff. And it was not great for the gym because if you knock it over, it has a straw and then you spill your water everywhere. Mm. I like if I have a water bottle for the gym with a straw, it needs to be like it needs to be able to close the way that the corksicle water bottle can. That has a little straw, but it's attached to the cap and it just like magically pops down. So what about this as an obsession? Because so far it sounds like you don't like it. No, I didn't have an obsession. So I wanted to use this time to talk about Stanley Cups. Oh, you're ceding your obsession time to Stanley Cups, even though you're you're maybe on the fence about them. Yeah. Then, so I've been talking about it on my Instagram stories today. I did a giveaway with the other two because I was like, I don't need three of these because I also have my Corksicle one, my Swell one. It just feels like a lot of water bottles and like insulated beverage holding things. What I was told was that the handle makes it really easy if you're breastfeeding. So that's Mm. one thing. And that it's great, obviously, if you're driving. And that was something I said. I was like, I don't think I need all these travel mugs considering I'm like never in cars. And someone was like, but if you're in the passenger seat, you still can use it. And I was like, true, but I'm rarely in a passenger seat because I like Uber places or I walk. So I've been really interested in this because I would like a insulated water bottle that keeps things cold that also has a straw. And so I've been between this one, which everyone loves, and then the other influencer preferred favorites is Tinks has the her like emotional support water bottle. It's just from Amazon. And that one isn't quite as big as the Stanley one and it doesn't have a handle. But I like – I do see the benefit of having a straw. Oh, yes. I like having a straw. You should look at the Corksicle one because that like closes and then you can take it around with you and – but it still has a straw. I really like it. I just don't know what's so special about it that everyone's freaking out and that it's selling out like this. That's all I'm saying. Like I kept the the big one and I, I think it'll be great to have at my desk as, and like fill it up with like a couple lemon slices, some ice and some water and it keeps everything nice and cold. The straw is really nice. It's like a thick straw and you can tell you can throw it in the dishwasher and it's not going to get all like bent out of shape and messed up. The color is pretty. It's like a pretty la- – they sent me a pretty lavender one. I didn't like, get to pick my color. I'm just a little confused. Like I see this like everywhere and people are just like losing their mind. It's selling out. I'm like, it's just an insulated cup. I don't know. So the Stanley water bottle, I looked yesterday and it was sold out in the colors that I wanted. So I didn't get one. I do like the size of it because especially if I'm trapped on conference calls, I like having like a big water bottle. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'm in the market for an influencer water bottle. I do like that it's called an adventure quencher. I also didn't realize this is like a dumb influencer move because I just got them. I didn't link to them or like try and sell any. I was like, I'm just going to tell you what I think. Like with shipping and tax, it's 50 bucks. Yeah. That feels a little expensive. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. Anyways. On to the books. Yes. Tell me what you read. 
Okay, so this week I read The Last Housewife by Ashley Winstead. This, she's the one who wrote In My Dreams I Hold a Knife, which Olivia and I both really loved. Yep. I thought it was great. She, It was super, super creepy. It was like almost too dark for me. Like there's so many triggers, oh. like, like Verity style. Like there's a – so I don't like books with abuse, like domestic abuse. I can handle emotional abuse but not like physical. And I – there's some like sexual assault and physical assault and there's a cult. The cult is what really lured me in. Like I liked the cult part but I really could deal without the abuse. Like I just don't – love that as a plot line it feels it almost feels like and i know i read so many murdery dark books so like i get that maybe i have a double standard here but it feel it feels wrong reading about it like it feels like i'm taking pleasure in something really awful even though it's fiction of course but i will just say there's a lot of triggers there versus taking pleasure in murder yeah i i can't tell you why like i think that murdery thrillers are like okay and Domestic abuse is not, but it's just it's all it's a line for me. <laughs> like a lot of the Colleen Hoover books are just they're just too much. Like what was the one like horrible abuse one she wrote? And there was one that really crazy one that she published under a different name, C. Hoover instead of Colleen Hoover. Those were like a little too much for me. And then I'm currently reading The Club by Ellery Lloyd, which we were talking about her because she wrote I think it was People Like Us, which is about an influencer. I've always – and I shouldn't even say she. It's actually a husband and wife duo that write together. But they wrote – Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they wrote this book about an influencer. And it was one of the only like portrayals of an influencer that didn't feel like completely one-dimensional to me. So I really liked that. And this is their new book. So this one is like imagine Soho House but like even more exclusive. Like you and I would not be members at this club. It's like mostly all like celebrities. And it – but imagine the owner's like kind of sadistic and, and manipulative and they open up this exclusive elite branch on an island off the coast of England and like all hell breaks loose. And I'm reading it now. There's so many different little plot lines. It took me a little while to get into. Like I was like, if I don't like it after 70 pages, I'm going to give up. And then it picked up and I started to really enjoy it. I don't like this as much as people like us, but I'm, I think it's like a solid thriller. I have this and want to read it just because I love anything that's like super one percenty, like Crazy Rich Asians or something that's like about or fake by Erica Katz. Like anything that is like about the uber wealthy, I just find so voyeuristic and interesting that I thought maybe I would like this. Yeah, I think you'll like this. And then I'm still reading Taste by Stanley Tucci. I'm listening to it. I will tell you, I said this last time, if you get this, just be prepared to feel like you have to buy the paper book too because there's so many recipes and – I, I kind of just tune out a little when he's doing the recipes because you like, what are you going to do? Yeah. But I think I need the paper book too. That's a double standard because it's like you want to read, you want to hear the celebrity narrator tell their own story, but then you also want the recipes. Yeah. So I wish they had like an, I don't know, like if you buy the audio book, you get like a paper or digital companion with all the recipes. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. How about you? So I read Black Cake over the weekend. And then I finished The Perfect Couple by Ellen Hildebrand, which I treated myself to an Ellen. And this is – it kind of feels like a cozy mystery. I don't think I absolutely know what a cozy mystery is, but it's like a low-stakes Agatha Christie-style mystery okay. where there's a wedding on Nantucket and the morning of the wedding, the maid of honor is found dead. And it kind of takes place over the course of two days, but then also lots of flashbacks and like tells you the history and it's like trying to figure out who killed her 
And so it's very much my kind of mystery where it's not violent or scary in any way. Yeah. So I really liked that. It's not my favorite Ellen, but it it, it was a it was a great Ellen. It was good. Okay. And then I uh, last night started Something Wilder by Christina Lauren, which is their upcoming book, which comes out in May, I believe. I at first did not think I was going to like it. Oh. So it's a cowboy romance. Well, I guess it's a cowgirl romance. He's a city slicker and she's a cowgirl. Okay. And um, it is pitched as uh, – n- What's the Nicolas Cage movie where he steals the Declaration of Independence? National Treasure? I don't know. Maybe National Treasure. Okay. Let's let's assume it's National Treasure. I think that's it. So it's National Treasure, but like also like a sexy romance. Okay. And I was like, I don't know. This is up my alley. So I was reading it last night and I love Christine Lauren. So, you know, I am willing to go wherever they take me. And there's like a big twist. Okay. Halfway, not halfway, like a third of the way through the book. Yeah. And I now I'm like, oh, I'm going to like this. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll so read was, anything they write. Me too. So it was not what I thought it was going to be based on reading the first 20 or 30 pages that I wasn't sure I was going to like. So now I'm in it. I'm uh, I'm excited. So that's what we've got for you. If you missed it, next month's book club pick is Olivia's most recommended book. It is Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. She says it's best to go into it knowing not that much. It is about space, but that's not her genre either. So we're all going on a little adventure here into a genre that we wouldn't normally read. Yeah. Grace, I'm going to miss you so much on this podcast. I'm going to miss you too. I'm going to be listening and we'll just get better at having our own calls. I know. But this has been – I mean, this – this experience has changed my life in so many ways, big and small. And part of it is, is maybe just that I've changed over the course of this podcast and it's a diary of it. But I also think this podcast has changed my life in a lot of positive ways. And like I have you to thank for that because this was your idea. And like I certainly wouldn't have a podcast without you. And I don't know. I feel very I feel very bittersweet. I'm excited about the next iteration, but I'm really sad about the ending of this one. Yeah, me too. And I'm I'm really going to miss so many parts of doing this and especially the week up, weekly catch-up that we get to have every week. But um yeah, I guess on to the on to new adventures. Any parting words other than where people can find you? It has been such a pleasure co-hosting this for 4 years and 215 episodes I want to say. I I I might be wrong. Like around 200 210 215 I mean, it's kind of a relief. I feel out of things to talk about sometimes, but I, um, I've really, I've loved doing this so much. It's really weird that I won't be doing it anymore, but I hope to be invited back as a guest. And I just love this community so much. It's been so wonderful feeling like I had a book club of like, I don't know, 20,000 internet friends. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Grace Atwood. My blog is thestripe.com. That's where I really focus the most of my energy is definitely my blog. And um, I have an email newsletter. I keep plugging that just because I feel like the podcast is something that comes to your phone every week and you get it and you you kind of remember. Whereas the email is kind of the same thing. It's you get you sign up once, you get it every Friday. So go do that. And if you have enjoyed this time, consider leaving us a rating or review because the last four are just about how awful our voices are. So 
that might be a nice parting gift to Grace to say nice things. Yeah, just say something nice. I'll miss you all, but I'll be back. And I literally am probably too much on the internet. (laughs) So you know where to find me. Grace will be cultivating her air of mystery in other corners of the internet. (laughs) I have no mystery. (laughs) Most overexposed. (laughs) All right. Uh, no, but in all, in all seriousness, this is getting awkward, but it's been – it's really been a great four years. Grace Atwood, over and out. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye forever. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> How do you end something like this? <laughs> I have no idea. It's, it's I don't so know how to awkward. get out of this. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Becca, just tell people where they can find you and we can move on. Um, I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman and my fiction podcast, Bone Mary Berry. Our last full episode is out this week. There's an epilogue next week. I would love for you to check it out. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.